And what we're going to talk about tonight, he can work through you and give you the power to do it. I liked uh, the song Channels Only, we sung. Channels, you know what a channel is, like a channel, like a river channel. The water is flowing down that river channel. And we are channels through whom Christ wishes to flow. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Making a difference for others in evangelism. We're going to be in the little book of Jude. Jude is a single chapter. But I want to focus on verse 20, 21, 22, and 23. 20 through 23. making a difference through evangelism. Verse number 20 in Jude. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now what he's talking about, keeping yourselves in the love of God, is certainly not talking about keeping yourself saved by your own efforts. But because God's love is so great, And as we get saved, we are saved in his love and letting his love flow through us like channels will make us more effective in evangelism or any other endeavor. Keeping ourselves fresh in the love, letting his love flow through us. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I think we can safely say in this short passage that there is an urgency as he talks about having compassion, staying built up, ready to do the job that he's given us, and pulling others from the fire. Sounds like an urgent job. Evangelism. Soul winning, witnessing is an urgency. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, stir in our hearts a flame that would cause it to just rise up in a great wave of evangelism that we might see others saved because we've been channels in your service, in your ministry. Lord, bless us. Fill us with your spirit. Help us not only to understand the passage of Scripture, but to let it work in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you've heard the story about the little boy walking along the beach, picking up uh, starfish on the beach, and he'd pick one up and throw it back out in the water before it would die. And there were thousands of them on the beach, and a man walking by laughed at him and said, Son, you can't save all those starfish. Uh, You know, you're not making much of a difference. He picked up another starfish, the little boy, and threw it out in the water. And he said, I made a difference for that one. (laughs) You might not reach everybody, but God wants us to reach somebody and make a difference for somebody. In Bible college, one of the first courses I took there at Oklahoma Baptist College was personal evangelism. It was a course. I had to take it two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, two-hour course, and In that course, we were required to read John R. Rice's book on soul winning, 
the golden path to successful goal, or soul winning. And uh, I read it through with great anticipation, and my heart was stirred for souls as I read through it. And we also, in that course, had to memorize a whole host of verses that could be used in witnessing somebody to bring them to the knowledge of Christ and to present the gospel. And uh, in some of those verses, we'd probably have maybe five to ten verses just on showing people from the Bible how they are a sinner. And then we'd memorize eight or ten verses uh, that we could could speak from from heart if we didn't even have a Bible uh, and got a chance to witness somebody. We could tell them from memory what the verses say. We'd have other verses that would show them how the wages of sin is death, that uh, the sinner who does not get saved will surely go to hell. We memorized another probably half dozen to a dozen verses on showing how Christ died in our place, how he took our place on the cross, suffered our sin, suffered our hell for us. And then we memorized oodles of others about how to accept Christ, how to place our faith in him, trusting him, what he did on the cross, his resurrection, Uh, Lots of verses. We had to memorize those and be able to write them out word for word. They even counted off for punctuation. (laughs) And so we'd have to memorize those back on a test as we would have uh, quizzes and final test, what do you call a mid-semester exam and final test. And we also, in this personal evangelism class, in addition to reading the, the soul winning book, we had to memorize the verses we had to go out each week and personally encounter people and witness to them. And then we'd have to come back and sign a, sign a card, turn in a report on our witnessing adventures. And then we had to write a term paper on that book, Soul Winning, The Golden Path to Successful Soul Winning. That and much more, besides having to learn all the notes that the that the instructor was given us to repeat back on a test. That did give us ammunition for us to be channels for, to take the word of God and give it out to other people that they might know how to be saved. Everybody we witness to doesn't get saved. You can't twist their arm. You can't be persuasive enough to make them get saved. But you can be armed with the word of God, the sword of the spirit, being filled with the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, and you can give the Scriptures to them that tell them how to trust Christ as Savior. And if the Holy Spirit does the saving, then at least we gave them the Word to know how. Well, being a witness is not really optional for the Christian. (laughs) It's not something you say, well... Some people got the gift of gab, but I don't, so I just don't witness to anybody. Uh, and I'm not talking about buttonholing people and catching a stranger on the street and backing him up into a corner and holding him in place until you force a profession of faith out of him. I'm talking about genuine soul winning, genuine witnessing, giving them the scriptures and pleading with them to receive Christ as Savior. I, I think one of the greatest motivations for it is that Somebody got the message to us and we got saved. God saved us as undeserving as we are and being grateful for that ought to propel us and motivate us to tell others how to be saved. I got a job, oh, I guess it was in 
the summer of 70, working up in Iowa for Cost Construction Company, building interstate highways. And uh, a friend of mine, he's old, several years older, he's gone on to glory now, but Conway Hames uh, had a job as a foreman there. And we, he and I had worked together on some remodel jobs. He used to work for this company, and then he had uh, just stayed here in Arkansas and did remodel jobs for a while. And he and I partnered up, remodeled some houses together. Well, he told me in the springtime, he said, Rick, I'm going back to work for Cost. He said, they've, uh, they've offered me a good salary to come and be a paving foreman, and, uh, and I'd like for you to go with me. He said, I'll, I'll get you on. I said, well, I don't know anything about that. He said, well, he said, I, I can get you a job and we can teach you what you need to know. Well, I was grateful. He got me a good paying job and, and went up there and I did use some of my carpentry skills to remodel some tool sheds for them before warm weather came where we could actually do some concrete paving. And, but on the job, because I was grateful to Conway for getting me the job, I would work my heart out and try to do the best I could not only for him, but for the other foreman and the other workers, so they wouldn't say, well, boy, old Conway sure hired a dud there, didn't he? <laughs> I didn't want to be a dud. I wanted to be somebody that was worth my salt. And uh, you know what a dud is? Dud's when you put a shotgun shell in your gun, you get ready to shoot a squirrel, and it goes click, <laughs> and nothing happens. That's a dud. And when God saves us, he doesn't mean for us to be a dud. He wants us to be able to pull the trigger and something happen. The word of God come out and give somebody what they need to know to be saved. God has delegated some responsibility to me as pastor to pass on the desire to win people to Christ. Part of the great commission is to win people to Christ, baptize them, teach them. And since that's the great commission given to all disciples of Christ, as pastor, I am obligated, and because I love him and I want to do a good job for him, I want to help you to have the equipping that you need to be able to witness effectively to others, to equip the members to carry out the work of Christ. In Ephesians 4.11, it talks about the servants and the leadership of the church. He says in Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Well, what's, what is the purpose for all of these gifted men that he puts in the church? Well, the next verse, excuse me, verse number 12 tells us why he uses those gifted men. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So God's got a job for the pastor to do pass on and then another place the scriptures tell us that that we ought to teach people who will be able to teach others also and so this is not something we just let it die with us we learn how to be an effective witness for Christ and as we learn and gain knowledge about it and some experience about it and more scriptures about it we want to pass it on to others and inspire them to do what? To in turn pass it on to others. The world is exploding in population. What? Over 8 billion now? Is that right? People are being born faster than we can possibly win them to Christ in the numbers that we are currently using. But like the starfish on the beach, I can't witness to all 8 billion of them and neither can you. 
but we can inspire others to take the equipping that we have and reach a few of those starfish themselves. And it will make a difference to those we reach. Can you imagine one day walking on the golden streets and some stranger walk up to you and say, hey, I remember you. You're the one that told me that I need to have Christ to go to heaven. You're the one that showed me how to be saved. And you might say, I don't even remember that. Wouldn't that be grand to have people in heaven that you helped to get there? Praise the Lord. My purpose is to look into God's precious book and to help our church to win souls to Christ. Now, let me preface this by saying I do know that there's a lot of independent Baptist churches among other denominations that push what is called many times an easy believism, an empty believism, a, a high pressure salesmanship type of soul winning. And I'm not talking about that, not just trying to evoke some response out of somebody who says, Yeah, I prayed a prayer and uh, giving them false assurance. I'm talking about going about this in a biblical way. There is such a thing as winning a soul to Christ. The Holy Spirit does the winning, but we do the imparting of the information to them that the Holy Spirit uses. So all I do is ask you to listen with a heart that's open uh, to whatever God has for you personally. First thing I want to bring out tonight is the value of one soul. The value of one soul. The one starfish on the beach may represent one soul. You can't reach them all, but you can reach some. And if they're valuable enough, if a starfish is valuable enough to toss him back in the ocean, aren't souls valuable enough that we ought to try to win them? If we don't see, if we don't listen, if we don't see soul winning, if we don't see witnessing, if we don't see evangelism from the standpoint of God, from His viewpoint, from His worldview, then we'll probably never be motivated much to try to win anybody. Mayor Rudy Giuliani, after an interview after the 9-11 New York City attack, talked about how they were the city uh, first responders were trying to reach all the people they could and physically save them from dying after the Twin Towers fell. There were cops, firemen, EMS people, and they were trying to grab everybody and get them out of the wreckage as soon as they could. You know one thing they weren't doing? <laughs> they weren't asking, how much money do you make a year anyway? You make in excess of 400000 I don't have time to fool with you. No, they were just grabbing people and trying to save them. They didn't ask them if they're black or white or Chinese. They just grabbed them and tried to rush them to safety. And when we see the value of souls as much as Rudy Giuliani's city servants saw the value of physical life, we'll have a head start on trying to win people to Christ. God wants us to see the value of precious souls. Heaven rejoices over souls being saved. You know the verse, Luke 15, 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. One. If all of heaven is rejoicing for just one, that ought to mean that they're pretty valuable. Souls are valuable. How valuable is your soul? Their souls are valuable too. What makes a soul so valuable anyway? 
Well, number one, a soul is eternal. In Ecclesiastes, we're talking on Sunday mornings about a lot of things that are worthless pursuits in life under the sun. <laughs> Some things, pleasure-seeking, if that's our goal, wealth, if that's our goal, then those things, without God being in the picture, are worthless and not worthy of our pursuit, our time, our energy. So there's a lot of things that's not worth going after. But man is made in God's image. And man is worth going after. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. God created men in his own image, and so therefore that means they're worth something. They're valuable. When we see the crowds out at this time of year, the I mean, the stores are full of people. They're just everywhere. And that's why we can keep a few gospel tracts in our shirt pocket and, <clears throat> as we have opportunity, give people the gospel. Some of them won't read it. Some of them will throw them in the trash basket, but most of them will probably keep them for a little while, and some of them will read it. And a few of them will actually receive Christ as Savior. We see all those souls milling around and going from store to store, and the streets are full, the highways are running over with traffic, all of those are souls and they're all made in the image of God. Most people don't get up in the morning thinking, well, this is probably the day I'll die today. <laughs> I don't think they do, but you know what? They're going to die sooner or later. And that's why since they're made in God's image and they are going to die, it's our job, it's our job to get the gospel to them before they die. They do have a soul. A soul that's eternal. Matthew 8, 36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Sounds like a soul is worth more than the whole world. Isn't that kind of what Solomon's conclusion was? Man, I've got everything, but I'm still empty. And somebody who leaves God out of the picture, a lost person, they have a valuable soul. They don't know just how valuable it is. And that's why you and I need to speak to them about Jesus. Souls are valuable because <coughs> each person is eternal. And souls are important because heaven and hell are real. Souls are special. Souls are important. Souls are valuable because there is a heaven and there is a hell. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And so therefore that makes them valuable. They're going to one of those two places. One of the two. There's no in between. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance. <clears throat> it's heaven or hell when the last breath is drawn. And so you and I need to recognize the value of a soul because souls are eternal and because there is a heaven and hell where that eternal soul will reside forever. I can't grasp that, can you? Forever? I mean, I know what the definition is, but I can't grasp it in my mind. I mean, this is a big world, but you can measure it in miles around the circumference or from point to point, city to city. The ocean is deep. In some places, aren't, is an ocean like seven miles deep in the Pacific somewhere? Seven miles deep? But it can be measured. But eternity cannot be measured. It doesn't end. 
I can't quite grasp that, but I know because I do know what things can be measured and eternity is longer than that, that that makes a soul valuable. Heaven and hell are real. Luke 16, 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he left, lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Souls are valuable because we don't want them to go there. There's no escape. It's torment. I wish it weren't so, but it is. A soul is valuable because of where it will spend eternity. And a soul is valuable because of the limited way it can be redeemed. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And a soul is valuable because there's only one possible price. There's only one possible redeemer. There's only one possible way to be saved. It's not like that. it's a multiple choice question. And a soul is valuable because there's just one solution to that soul's problem. One, only one. And you and I have the answer. Jesus is the only way of salvation. The Welsh poet and pastor John Dyer said, A man may go to heaven without health, riches, or honors, without learning, and without friends, but no man will go to heaven without Jesus. The only way. And you and I have the answer. Wouldn't it be awfully unselfish of us not to share Jesus with those around us? It's easy for us to be tempted to agree with other people sometimes. You know, we don't, nobody wants to be confrontational. Nobody wants to be mean-spirited. Nobody wants to be seen as argumentative. And we don't have to be that way. But yet, when many times somebody says, well, I've, me and Jesus got our own thing going. What does that mean? <laughs> or, I have my own religion. And we kind of, instead of wanting to refute that, we kind of want to back off and say, well, okay. <laughs> but that's not doing them a favor. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And even though a soul is valuable and only Jesus can save, you and I can make a difference. Those are some of the reasons why we ought to think about souls in the way the Lord does. I'm just saying, we're Christians. We've been saved. We've got heaven to look forward to. But there's still some folks out there that's lost that'll never see heaven apart from somebody taking the gospel to them. And we, send, we spend a lot of money sending missionaries around the world. Wouldn't it be awful if we let people in Cersei perish? To seek and to save is the next thing. To seek and to save. It's the purpose of the Lord. Why did he come? To seek and to save. If you had to state your purpose in life, what would it be? Would you say, well, I want to be the best husband or wife that I can be. Well, that's good. That's a noble reason. Somebody might say, well, most important thing to me right now is just be the most effective worker on my job. Well, you ought to be a good worker on the job. Some people might say, well, 
I'd like to be remembered as being somebody's best friend. And boy, do we need to be friends and have friends. That's good. But how would you like for people to remember you? Here's what Jesus stated his purpose in 16 words. In Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did he say he came? To seek and to save that which is lost. That was his purpose. Well, if you and I carried out his purpose, wouldn't that be a pretty high and noble thing? We'd be doing like him. That was the heartbeat of Jesus. The heartbeat of Jesus was to reach people. He came. He left earth. He left all the glories of heaven. He didn't come down here to take it easy. He didn't come down here to have a life that was beautiful. He didn't come here so he could have money. He didn't come here just so he could be admired in a worldly way. He didn't come just to make life easier on people. He didn't come just to feed people. He didn't come just to heal disease. He did a lot of those things, but he said, my purpose is I come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the heartbeat of Jesus. The Great Commission has four parts. Let me read Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. So what do we see there? We see that we are to go. That means we got to get out of our comfort zone. That means we might have to drive a little ways. That means we might have to pick up a phone and make a call. That means we might have to write a letter or pull a tract out and hand it to somebody. But we got to go. He said go and win. And that means that we give them enough information that they can be saved. Win them. I understand it's not us that does the winning, it's the Holy Spirit, but it is us that's the tool in his bag that he wants to use. We're a tool of God. We have a voice. We are his hands and we're his feet. We're his voice. And he uses us. So go, win, baptize. That helps people to make that profession of faith public and let everybody know, I'm one of you. I follow him just like you do. And then he says to teach. And teaching is what we do when we bring messages from the pulpit or in a classroom at this church. We're teaching the disciples that have already been one to Christ, already been baptized. They're willing to go, but they need teaching. And that's what we're doing when we take out the Bible and bring out what the Bible says we're teaching. And there's no teaching takes place unless there is a two-way street the sound can go forth from the pulpit, but it has to be received on the other end or nothing happens. Go, win, baptize, and teach. We see first the value of souls. Then we see the commission to go and actually do it. Now, number three, let's embrace the mission. See, we can understand the value of a soul. We can understand the Great Commission. What a Christian is supposed to do. But then we have to embrace it and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to do it. Own it. Own the commission. This is where it becomes personal. This is where the rubber hits the road. 
This is where action takes place. When we take what we've learned from the Lord and His Word and we put it into action. I'm talking about intentional witnessing. Intentional soul winning. Intentional evangelism. Where we go on purpose to reach somebody. Now it might be somebody that just happens to cross your path in the daytime. It doesn't mean you have to drive across the city and knock on somebody's door and win a stranger. It could be somebody in your own house. It could be somebody on the job. It could be somebody you encounter just in daily life. You're just talking to somebody. And that might be the way the Lord uses you as His tool to get the gospel to those people. But you look for those opportunities on purpose. On purpose. An old deacon in a church had fallen into the habit of using the same old phrases in his prayer. <laughs> uh, and he'd say, in his prayer, he'd say, Oh Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger. He'd, every week he'd pray that in, in part of his prayer. Oh Lord, touch the unsaved, touch the lost with thy finger. And one day he was praying, Oh Lord, touch. And then he just stopped. Fell silent. One of the other men beside of him said, Something wrong? He said, No, oh, it just suddenly dawned on me. Like a voice was telling me from heaven, Thou art my finger. Isn't that what God wants to do? He wants to touch the hearts of lost people for his cause, to win them to himself. But we're the finger. Every born again child of God would like to see others come to Christ. I think everybody wants to see somebody get saved. It's just that it never dawned on them that God wants to use me to see them get saved. God wants to use you. I like the blonde. I've told this before. And I, I just hate blonde jokes. I think it's denigrating. I'm going to tell it though. The blonde was sitting on the beach and she was contemplating the sun going down below the horizon and she's trying to figure out what in the world happened to that sun. And she sat there for hours thinking among that subject, what happened to the sun? And finally it dawned on her. Isn't it awful? <laughs> I'll get back to preaching. <laughs> So what do we do? Let's talk about just a couple of practical things and I'm done. First of all, make a commitment. Nothing will happen if you don't make a commitment. Lord, I'm going to do it. With your help, I'm going to do it. Make a commitment. Number two, set a plan. How am I going to do it? I have to have a plan. I mean, I can't sit on my, I can't sit on my sofa in front of the TV and expect that the Lord is just going to bring them by one by one for me to witness to. Got to have a plan. And, and I can't just expect that maybe when I do run into somebody that needs to get saved, that, that God's just going to suddenly fill my mouth with the right things to say. I need to have a plan. Part of that plan is how you're going to encounter them, how you're going to go about talking to them, the spirit that you're going to talk to them with, the friendliness, the kindness, Make a commitment, set a plan, and thirdly, seek God's help. We're not in this alone. 
We've got to seek God's help. This is, part of this is being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Asking the Holy Spirit. Be, having a plan and then seeking God's help puts us in the driver's seat. Seeking God's help. We can have a plan, but if the Spirit of God's not in it, it's nothing going to happen. And so it comes about by surrender. Volunteering. Lord, here am I. Send me. <laughs> I'd like to have the opportunity, Lord, show me who to talk to, and I'll do it. Get God's help. How do we do that? Through prayer, surrender, volunteering. Surrender to God and His way. Look, part of that surrendering has to do with eliminating things out of our life, the worldly things, the sinful things. See, God wants to use a clean vessel. So after we seek God's help, then prepare a message. <laughs> I prepare generally three messages a week to preach from the pulpit. But I need to have a message when I'm planning on speaking to individuals as well. If a preacher ought to have a, pre a message that he can preach from the pulpit, every born-again Christian, every child of God ought to have a message that he's able to communicate to the lost people around him. What are we going to say? What are we going to say? We've got to think through this. What am I going to say? If we get the opportunity, a Philippian jailer comes by and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> that doesn't happen too awfully often, but it does happen. But sometimes we can squeeze out some opportunities that might not be a Philippian jailer. But if a Philippian jailer does want to know how to get saved, we need to know what to tell him. Do we not? What are we going to tell him anyway? Do you have a testimony? If you're saved, you've got a testimony. How did you come to Christ? Where were you? What were the circumstances? How did you place your trust in Him as Savior? So you want to think through all this and have your message down. You don't want to say, well, I got saved because I went forward in the church service. Well, I don't save anybody. <laughs> it's when you trust Him. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With the heart, it all takes place in the heart. It's not our outward actions. We would be, we'd be work salvationists if we taught them they have to do things to get saved. It's by trusting. It's believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe. And so we think through our message. And when we think through our message, we have to determine to prayerfully work on what to say. What am I going to say to a lost person? The biggest fear that most Christians have, I think, is just feeling like, oh boy, if I get the opportunity, I won't know what to say. <laughs> and I might get stuck. It'll be embarrassing. <laughs> well, first of all, don't worry about being embarrassed. You'll get over it, and they will too. <laughs> and the reason you prepare is, a message to know how. I'm talking about making a sermon. I'm talking about telling somebody how to place their faith in Christ. And you won't get stuck if you just remember how you got saved. Witnessing is not just saying something about the Bible. I know people who think they're witnessing if they discuss some prophecy or they discuss the Ten Commandments or they discuss some narrative that happened in the Bible. They think they're witnessing to somebody. 
Now, those things might be used in witnessing, but that's not witnessing. Witnessing is getting the gospel to people, telling them how they need a Savior and how Jesus bled and died on the cross to save them, how he came out of the tomb, and that because he came out of the grave, they can too, and how heaven awaits those who have placed their faith in Christ. Witnessing is specific. It's not just talking about Bible stories or talking about the Lord in general. It's a specific message how to be saved. It's giving people the good news that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead and that he loves people and will save them when they place their faith in him. Here's what I would do. If you're really nervous about witnessing to somebody, you had not done it before, Ooh, that's scary. Sit down and write out your message. I'm not talking about a sermon. I'm talking about just telling somebody how, how you got saved and how they can get saved. Sit down and write it out. What would you say to somebody? Well, we, you'd probably start out by telling them how all have sinned. Now, you might have some small talk up front just to kind of break the ice. But you'd start out by telling them that all people, according to the Scriptures, are sinners. And... Maybe give them your testimony, how you came to a knowledge that you were a sinner. You thought we were doing good. Maybe like Brother Lloyd testifies, a member, saved member or a lost member of a Baptist church, lost baptized member <laughs> of a Baptist church. And you might tell them how you came to realize, hey, I'm a sinner. I, I never turned to the Lord in my heart. And you might give them your testimony there. And then show them how Jesus bled and died for their sins. Find the verses that best fit you. Verses of scripture that you can memorize or at least you know where they're located in the Bible. The verses that explain each point that you're trying to get across. See the job of a preacher, when a preacher makes out a sermon, he's trying to get across point one, point two, point three, or however he preaches his message and he needs to have scripture to say, I'm saying this is important and the scripture says this and that's why that point is important and the same thing goes for witnessing you have a point and a scripture to prove your point anticipate some objections that might arise when you write out your message write it out what what verse will I use to show them that everybody needs to be saved that everybody's a sinner write down several verses maybe memorize one or two and then how Jesus died for them. Write out that verse. How are you going to prove that, that Jesus is the way to be saved? How he died for you. Uh, maybe, maybe you'd want to use Isaiah 53, 5. Um, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. You see, that puts everything on the saving onto Jesus. Our part's to do the believing. Or you might use Romans 4.25 where it says about Jesus who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He was delivered for our offenses. The Bible teaches over and over again there's oodles and oodles of verses that show how Jesus died in our place. And friend, we've got to make sure if we're going to have genuine converts, we've got to make dead level sure that they understand the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. I think there's way too many people that think that, that uh, they, just, they believe Jesus was a historical person or they, they've got some idea that they want to change their life 
And so they're going to follow Jesus, quote, unquote, going to follow Jesus. But they need to understand above everything else that Jesus died in their place. If they don't understand that, there's no basis for their faith. Faith has to have an object. I mean, you can have faith that kissing a bullfrog will save you. Doesn't make it so. So faith has to have the right object, and Jesus is the right object. Because of his death on the cross, by the shedding of his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so we talk about the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, and they've got to understand the substitutionary death, and then they need to know about the resurrection. They need to know about placing their trust and their faith in him. It says in Romans 5.8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. Even little kids can understand the substitutionary death if they don't even know what that word substitutionary means. You can tell them how Jesus died in our place. Everybody needs to understand that. And after you witness to somebody, don't forget to try to draw the net. (laughs) No, it's not making a sale. But drawing the net is giving them the opportunity right then and there to place their faith in Christ. Because people will put it off. Oh, I've had a lot of people say, Preacher, I I know you're right. I'm going to do that someday. Well, you witnessed to them, but you didn't draw the net. Now, that doesn't mean you can automatically get them saved or that you can draw the net and make them get saved, but you can offer to draw the net where you capture them for Christ, giving them a point in time where they can... They can actually say, that's when I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus. I know when I got saved because I remember the time and the place. Now, there's nothing magical about the prayer. But I do have them to pray with me if they're trusting Christ. And the reason I do is not because that prayer saves them. Believing in their heart saves them. But the prayer draws everything down to a point of decision where they're saying yes or no to Jesus Christ. It's kind of like getting married. You know, you're standing before the preacher and he goes through all the vows and everything. Will you do this and will you do that? And will you bake cakes and cornbread for your husband all the rest of his life? Is that in there somewhere like that? (laughs) Beans and cornbread, yeah. And coconut cream pies. (laughs) But you're you're not married yet till you say, I do. When you say, I do, and he pronounces you husband and wife, it's done deal then. Just being willing to go to the altar doesn't get the job done. It's when you say, I do. And by getting someone to pray, it's kind of like getting them to say, okay, I do. I'm going to place my faith in him. Could they pray and not really get saved? Yeah, they could. I mean, you're not the Holy Spirit. You're not God. You can't see into their soul. You don't know. You're doing the best you can to bring them to a point of decision where they say, I'm ready. I'm going to trust him. I believe he died for me. I'm placing my faith in him right now. And if you bring them to the point of decision and they do it, they actually do that, then praise the Lord for it. If they go their way and they say, no, I'm just not ready, and some will, I'm just not ready, then you can always say, well, I sure appreciate you listening to me. 
And I hope you'll remember those verses. Let me give you this track so you can go through it again. It's got the verses in it. And you can read those verses again. And on, when you lay your pillow, head on your pillow tonight, if you, if you are choosing to trust Christ as Savior, you just look at those verses and say, this is God's promises to me, and I'm going to place my trust in Him right now before I go to sleep. So if I don't wake up tonight in this bed, I'll wake up in heaven. And you bring them to the point of decision if they will and if they won't, then leave them with a good taste in their mouth so that they'll call on you someday if they may have a tragedy in their home or tragedy in their life. And they may call you because they recognize you as somebody that cares for them and cares for their soul. And they may call you up someday and say, hey, could you tell me again about Jesus? You might have that opportunity again. I've had some of those. Probably some of you have too. And so even though you can't get them saved, you don't have to make them mad. (laughs) You can leave them with a good taste in their mouth, remembering that you're available if they need to talk to you. And I always invite them to church, whether they get saved or not, especially if they get saved, but try to get them to come to church even if they don't get saved. Say, won't you come? And I'll sit with you on the pew at church. I'll be your friend. I'll introduce you to a few of my friends. You don't have to come back again if you don't want to, but come with me this one time. See if you can get them to come to church. It just might be that God will touch their heart that day. That's what happened to me. My wife invited me to church over and over again. I just said, no, I'm not going to go. I don't want to go this time. Well, finally one day I did go. And while I was there, the preacher scorched my tail feathers and the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. (laughs) And I knew I need to be saved. And I got saved that day. Because somebody invited me. You can invite people to church whether they get saved or not. Worship is the highest praise to God and it pleases Him. But the highest activity that we could probably do in ministry is evangelism. Witnessing to people and telling them how to be saved. We must be about the Father's business. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Stir a flame in our hearts tonight that when we meet up with folks in a regular course of the day or if we go out intentionally just to find somebody to witness to, Lord, build a flame in our heart that we might speak to them fervently about the Lord Jesus and, Lord, speak to them lovingly in such a way that they know that we care. And, Lord, help us to speak clearly from the Scriptures that they know what God said and not just what man says. I pray that you'd bless us. Help us, Lord, to see more souls saved as the days go by. Lord, we're here in Searcy as a church, not only to disciple people, but to reach people for Christ and then disciple them. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as a church, reaching out to lost souls. I pray you'd help us have a fire in our bones to get the gospel to those that we contact on a daily basis. I pray these things in your name.